Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. This is WSBT's Community Update on 96.1 WSBT. Good morning. I'm John Hoffman. Before Congress ratified President-elect Joe Biden's November election win following Wednesday's Trump protester attack on the Capitol, WSBT 22's Max Lewis took a look at who in Indiana was challenging the results in Congress. In a state that voted overwhelmingly for President Trump, its representatives in Washington are refusing to accept Joe Biden as the next president. Indiana Senator Mike Braun, Representative Jackie Walorski, and Representative Jim Banks have all said they will object to certifying election results in certain states. Walorski writing, quote, the integrity of our elections and the faith the American people have that their votes are fully and fairly counted is a cornerstone of our democracy. They joined several members of the House and Senate that have vowed to do the same. Noticeably silent on the issue has been Senator Todd Young, who has so far ignored our questions and interview requests. Michigan Representative Republican Fred Upton has not been silent. You know, and here in Michigan, the difference was 154,000 votes. Uh, no one has come up with evidence to try and turn that around. Upton says he has seen no evidence of widespread fraud in any state and says his colleagues will simply just drag out the process. You can go to Vegas, can't find a bet on this on this match because we know where the results are going to be. No matter what odds you get, uh, you better bet on Joe Biden getting over 300 electoral votes, uh, no matter what the odds. Braun and others are calling for a commission to investigate allegations of voter fraud, but no evidence has been produced. Indiana University political science professor Stephen Webster says these moves will have long-lasting effects. This is serious because it sets a dangerous precedent that people can challenge the legitimacy of an election simply because they don't like the outcome of that election. President-elect Biden will be sworn into office Wednesday the 20th. In the wake of Wednesday's attack on the U.S. Capitol by Trump supporters, Indiana and Michigan lawmakers of both parties uniformly blasted the protesters. Representative Jackie Walorski issuing a statement earlier saying she was planning to object the election results in the joint session today. But take a look. Shortly after the attacks began, she tweeted, Every American has the right to exercise their First Amendment rights, but violence and destruction are never the answer. Stop these attacks on our country now and keep the protests peaceful. Now, Representative Fred Upton tweeting, I am safe and sheltered in place, horrified and shell-shocked by the violence of rioters trying to undo the constitutional transfer of power. And Indiana Senator Mike Braun tweeting, what we're seeing at the Capitol is wrong, hurts the cause of election integrity and needs to stop immediately. Although Governor Gretchen Whitmer was not in the midst of the action in Washington, she did address the violence during her coronavirus update. We have to put this election behind us. We have to move forward together as a nation. We have to keep our eyes on what really is the crisis at hand because we are still in the midst of the worst public health crisis in our lifetimes. 
Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb also addressing the attack, saying, quote, it's both saddening and sickening to watch a mob devolve into thinking their rules would ever replace the rule of law. Any means of violence runs counter to who we are and is never acceptable. WSBT 22's Lauren Becker reporting. A post-Christmas coronavirus surge, distributing vaccines locally, and more with St. Joseph County Deputy Health Officer Dr. Mark Fox on WSBT 22's First in the Morning. St. Joseph County remains in the orange category with the state metrics, but all the surrounding northern Indiana counties are in the, are in the red category. Is that because, do you think, of increased testing? Is it because of a holiday lag, or what's going on here? Well, the holiday lag should be the same across all those counties. I don't think there's a substantial difference there. We are doing a fair bit of testing. Um, and when you look at those county metrics, they're determined by the number of cases per 100,000 and the percent positivity. We've been way off the charts on the cases per 100,000 for a couple months. So it's the test positivity factor that's kind of saved us, if you will. Um, you know, Notre Dame is still doing some surveillance testing, even though students are gone, so their faculty and staff are still getting surveillance testing. And those numbers still contribute to St. And, Joseph County, even though they're not here? Correct. These, these are for faculty and staff here in St. Okay. Joseph County. Okay. And so I think that, at some level, that's helped keep our percent positivity lower. We're seeing a spike from Christmas time um, with increased numbers of tests and percent positivity. So um, part of what we're seeing on the county metrics also is the change in how the state is calculating percent positivity. What do you well. think the uh, holiday period is going to have as far as an impact in our area? Well, really just in the last two days, we've begun to see increasing numbers. Um, part of that was a decrease in testing from kind of Christmas Eve forward and then New Year's Eve and New Year's Day as well. Um, so there was decreased access to testing through the holiday weekends on, on both sides there. Um, but what we're seeing is at the testing sites, a higher proportion of patients are positive. So that percent positivity was up substantially this weekend. I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about some of the vaccinations. Of course, that, that's been in the news a lot recently. Wanted to talk to you about the local picture as well. And the first question is, is St. Joseph County also seeing the same sort of lag that we're seeing nationally? The, there was talk about 20 million people being vaccinated by the end of the last calendar year, 2020. We're nowhere near that. St. Joseph County also seeing that sort of lag? We just haven't gotten very many doses yet. So as of middle of last week, we had received about 2,400 doses um, and had dispensed 2,100 of them. I mean, so we're giving them out almost as quickly as we get them. Our allotment just hasn't been high enough yet. Um, so both Beacon and St. Joe have asked for increased uh, availability of appointment slots and more vaccine because they feel like they could distribute it to the frontline healthcare workers, um, but just have not received more from the state yet. So how does that work? So if you are in that group of people who is either a frontline healthcare worker, or even if you're a healthcare worker, but not necessarily frontline, or the teachers who are said to be essential who will be getting it soon, do they have to sign up? A lot of people are wondering, I know I'm supposed to get it soon. How does this work? Do I have to call my doctor or yeah, what? Yeah, so for the frontline healthcare workers, you have a group of people who are licensed professionals, physicians, respiratory therapists, nurses. They get a registration link from their licensing authority. 
but you have custodians and dietary services and other groups that aren't licensed professionals, and they get a link from their employer. So as we get to the next phase and broaden the critical infrastructure, the utility workers and teachers and however that's defined, if they're licensed professionals, it would come from their licensing board. More likely, it's going to come from their employers. But the bottom line is you will be contacted. You will you get a registration link so that you can make an appointment. All right. Let's talk a little bit about a story that we had in the news this morning, and that is the Moderna vaccine possibly going out to a half dosage. I uh, saw yesterday on Meet the Press, Dr. Mar uh, Anthony Fauci was saying he's not necessarily a fan of that approach because that's not what the clinical trials looked at. They didn't, the science didn't study specifically just that. Where do you stand? Do you think this is a good idea that the FDA says, all right, we'll use the Moderna in a half dose for a big chunk of the population? I agree with Dr. Fauci. The clinical trial data doesn't, didn't examine that question really exhaustively. I think the, the British approach is actually interesting, is how much bang for our buck do we get if we give everyone one dose? So if we have 100 million doses, if we got 100 million people one dose rather than 50 million people two doses, how much would that decrease the infection rate and transmission rate? I think that is probably the more promising strategy. But again, there's limited clinical trial data to demonstrate If that. you do that, though, do you then run the risk of being able to inoculate that second round of dosage, either in the 28 or the 21 days, respectively, uh, or AstraZeneca? I'm not sure what the turnaround rate for AstraZeneca is, but do you, do you run the risk of, in essence, skewing in the wrong way the clinical trials because you're not giving it in the same period that the clinical trial gave it? Right. E either of these strategies, a half dose or a single dose, um, would deviate from what the clinical trials really were powered to demonstrate. So I think it's, it's unknown territory at this point, but the prospect of getting more people vaccinated at least once seems more promising um, than giving half doses at, at each dose. I have to ask you a real quick question. I know we're out of time getting the wrap from our producers, but it's the back to school day for a lot of kids around the area. South Bend's closed today because of the power issues. Do you still anticipate the, the kids who are going back today should be fine in going back today for those who are going back? And for some of the kids who are still on the virtual level, that in a couple of weeks they should be okay to go back at least on a hybrid method? Yeah, I think going virtual for a couple of weeks, especially at the high school level and, and middle school level, is important now because we know that there have been a lot of exposures and a lot of travel over Christmas. So this at least two-week period of all virtual will be helpful as a virtual quarantine and then should be safe to go back to at least the hybrid model in a couple of weeks. Dr. Mark Fox with Bob Montgomery on WSBT 22's First in the Morning. Words such as outrageous and infuriating are how one professor describes Notre Dame's process of applying to teach online. After being approved to teach remotely in the fall, he was rejected for the spring semester and was given just two days to appeal that decision. He did eventually win that appeal. But he says the process was frustrating and he claims it changed the route. Robert Norton has been at Notre Dame for 22 years. As the Associate Vice President for Internationalization, he says he helped oversee a $500 million endowment. And as a professor and the chair of his department for 13 years, he was entrusted with planning and leading several student trips to Europe. He says that shows how Notre Dame traditionally trusts its faculty. But when it came to teaching in a pandemic, he says the university tried to take the decision out of their hands. 
can I do everything I can to prevent myself from catching this disease? They say, no, you can't. We're not going to let you do that. That's outrageous. Robert Norton says his frustration wasn't just about the why. It was also about when the Notre Dame German professor was denied, as Indiana set new records for coronavirus cases and deaths on November 20th. They denied it as the numbers were exploding, right? I mean, it wasn't just exponential, it was vertical. To fully understand Norton's perspective, you have to go back to this summer. In this June 22nd email to the Office of Institutional Equity, Norton asked to teach the fall 2020 semester remotely. So the first accommodation was based, I think, largely on the fact that I was, um, I was commuting from Chicago. He mentions he lives in Chicago and that teaching in person would require him to violate the city's travel ban. At that point, he never mentions a medical condition, his age, or that anyone in his household would be at increased risk of infection. Criteria the university later makes mandatory for remote teaching in the spring. On July 5th, he's granted his request to teach remotely in the fall. On October 1st, Norton and others received this email, asking faculty to reply if they wanted, quote, an extension of their accommodation for the spring. On November 20th, his request was rejected. Instead, we received an extremely perfunctory um, message um, that didn't explain in any way why the decision had been made. Norton appealed the decision. The appeal process was uh, um, shoddy um, and uh, inadequate. Because many university offices were closed around Thanksgiving, Norton says he quickly realized he would only have the 23rd and 24th to successfully appeal before the deadline on the 27th. Then we were given two working days to respond to this life and death, death decision. Norton exchanged several emails with Moore Ryan, the associate provost for faculty affairs, during that window. But he was repeatedly told he didn't meet the criteria to teach remotely. Specifically, Ryan explained the following three criteria, quote, ADA-designated medical condition of the faculty member, age as defined by the CDC, and or the presence in the household of an individual with medical conditions placing him or her at increased risk of an adverse outcome from infection. Angry, Norton called the South Bend doctor he's been seeing for 20 years. I explained the situation to me. He was outraged, surprised. That same day, his doctor faxed a note to the Office of Institutional Equity. Norton didn't hear back before the deadline. He says he emailed three times and called once, but got no response. Finally, on December 1st, Norton received this email saying he was approved to teach remotely in the spring. It occurred in such a, a slipshod, uh, unprofessional way. I reached out to Notre Dame for comment on when and why the criteria for remote teaching changed. I also asked why the window to appeal the rejection was only two days, and if the remote teaching criteria was available anywhere on Notre Dame's website. Notre Dame Vice President Paul Brown wrote back, As a matter of policy, I do not comment on individual cases. In all cases, we work individually with faculty to arrive at appropriate accommodations. Brown also wrote, In-person instruction is intrinsic to the Notre Dame experience. Unfortunately, 85 to 90 percent of instruction was delivered in person in the fall. There was no evidence of virus transmission in the classroom. Another important point is that Notre Dame has chosen a very different path with remote teaching compared to its peer universities. Michigan, the University of Chicago, Princeton, and Yale are just a few that let faculty choose whether to teach remotely. WSBT 22's Tolly Taylor reporting. The views expressed on WSBT's community update are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the host, WSBT Radio, its staff or management. Join us again next week on Community Update on the Sports Leader, 96.1 WSBT.
Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 